Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome. You're here. This is part one of a brand new series that we are kicking off. I'm so glad that you're here today. And, and today, uh, as, as much as I, I love the Bible and love to teach and verse by verse and outlines and dropping thoughts and ideas, what I, what I want to do today is probably do a, a little bit more storytelling and just share with you some incredible stories and then ultimately our story and what I think God has in store for us for the really months and, and years to come ahead of us and, and how it all ties together into this idea called legacy. Everybody say legacy. Legacy, when I talk about it, I'm talking about living a life that lives beyond you. Living a life in such a way that something about what you've done, what you've been, who you are, what God has done through you and used you for somehow lives on well beyond your funeral. There is something that we think about when we think about this idea of legacy and it is a big deal. And today, if you would turn to your Bibles real quick to, to Matthew chapter 26, there's this really incredible story in Matthew 26, and it's, it's unlike most stories in the Bible. Most of the times when you're reading the Bible, especially in the Gospels and the life and teachings of Jesus, Jesus is either teaching and talking to people, or many times there's these miracles and healings and things that he did. This is one of those moments that falls kind of in the middle. There is no miracle. There is no absolute teaching moment. It's just this moment that was so important to Jesus that he almost, it seems, gathered the disciples' attention was like, hey, y'all need to write this down. I know there's no teaching. I know there's no miracle. But this was a really big deal. Check it out. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 6 says this. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on Jesus' head as he was reclining at the table. Now, I need you to kind of picture this a little bit. This is like Middle Eastern dinner time, right? And so they had like five and six course meals. They did not sit at table and chairs. They had pillows. They were on the ground. Their tables were just barely off the ground. They would lounge. And they have something that's kind of creepy to me. And it's creepy to most of you because I have a buddy who's from that area of the country. And when I went and hung out with his family, it's really gross to me. Because they have these bowls. And then, and then like they'll have like, like a spongy ganja bread. And then they take the bread and then they dip it into the bowl to gather the food with the bread and then they but everybody's doing it in the same bowl and all I can think is dear God did you wash your hands please and so this is the idea in Jesus now now when the fact that it says that Jesus was in Bethany the reason why the writer points that out is because it's significant Bethany Bethany was a small little village just outside of Jerusalem it was just a couple of miles away and this is where Jesus would hang like Jesus had buddies and friends there this is where Lazarus and Martha and Mary and different stories took place in the Bible but the reason why it was really significant now is because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover Which nobody knew at the time, but at Passover they would kill a lamb to sacrifice for their sins. And what nobody knew was that Jesus was the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed for all of our sins. And that this, he was just days away from his betrayal. Days away from this mock trial. Days away from this brutal crucifixion that would go down as the most epic moment in all of history. This is what they're preparing for. And as he hangs out in Bethany, he's at this dinner. And and you know what's even cool too, is that even where he's having dinner, it says that he's hanging out with Simon the leper, which I love about Jesus because Jesus 
This is what makes me feel comfortable with all my issues. Is that Jesus loves people with issues. And Jesus seems to be drawn to people that are weird and dysfunctional. So if you ever felt weird and dysfunctional, you're welcome at the table of Jesus apparently. That Jesus had this ability to find outcast of society and say, I want to come have a dinner party with you or I want to come and hang with you. And the Bible says that the religious people were even mad at Jesus because he hung out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. And so if, if you just ever felt like you were on the outside looking in and you didn't really feel like a church person, you didn't know that you had faith and religion like everybody else and you didn't quite fit in, Jesus is apparently attracted to you. Come on in with your junk. That's what a leper would have been in that day. They would have not been able to touch people. And, they, and, and this is the idea, and many people believe this, is that Simon was a leper that Jesus healed from his leprosy. And now they're out just having dinner. They're reclining, and I hope everybody washed their hands because they're having this long course meal, and they're all eating, and they're reclining. And this is the setting. And in the middle of this setting, a woman comes in with this jar of expensive perfume and then just... Now, how many of you, you're sitting there eating dinner, and what you really want is for somebody to come and pour something on your head? <laughs> Picture this. Have you ever been at a social gathering where everything was going normal, and all of a sudden something just weird happened? You're like, dude, that was crazy. Remember the wedding we were at? We were at a wedding one time, and we are at a wedding ceremony, and right in the middle of this social gathering, everybody's, oh, the beautiful bride, doesn't she look so great? And nobody cares about the groom nearly as much, but he's there, and, and it's everybody, everything's in its proper place, and all of a sudden we're watching, and this woman who's sitting what seems to be with her five-year-old child lifts up her dress and begins to breastfeed him in the middle of a wedding ceremony, and you're like, whoa, well, that's weird. What in the world are you doing? Put that five-year-old away. Put the other things away. And the funniest part was as soon as she was done, she put her dress down and handed the kid Cheerios. I'm not making this up. It's just weird. So sometimes you're in these social settings and all of a sudden like everything's going according to plan and you're just like, that just happened. That woman just poured everything on Jesus' head and he didn't even flip out. Other people flipped out. Let's, let, let's keep reading. So the Bible says that the disciples saw this. They were mad. Jesus wasn't. But they were. And they even, and this is cultural. He says, why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. So to them, this wasn't as strange as it would be to us. To them, they were mad about the finances. They were sitting there looking at like how much this stuff costs because here's the deal. Culturally, an alabaster jar, it was called an alabaster jar because that was the, the, the stone that it was made out of. It was almost like marble. It was really thick stone and they put their most expensive oil and perfume in it. And it was typically kind of wide at the bottom. It came up to a narrow head and then it was sealed because the marble or the stone kept the perfume from, from leaking any of its fragrance and it was sealed at the top. And then there were times in Jewish culture where this is what a woman would use on the day of her, of her marriage. So like on the day of her wedding to consummate the marriage, this was something they would use. And so this was like usually something that was so expensive. Let me put some dollars and cents on it. It was usually about one year's wage in cost. So you start doing your math. How much do I make a year? Bam, that's some expensive perfume. That stuff better smell good. And you got to remember too, they didn't have Old Spice back then, right? They, they, didn't, they didn't have, you know, strong enough for a man, but pH balance for a woman. They did not have those types of things. And so it was common for them to want to like dab dab because you smell. Does that make sense? We're just telling stories. This is just the Bible. Um, 
what she does is so profound, it has a much greater significance that nobody picks up on but apparently her and Jesus. And, and what they pick up on is in essence that not only was oil used as a sense of like deodorant and perfume and to cover up smells, but like all throughout the Bible, they had used oil to, to anoint people. So like they anointed prophets and sometimes they'd use oil. They would anoint a priest and they'd sometimes use oil. They would anoint a new king and they would use oil. They, uh, here's the other one. To prepare a body for burial, they would anoint it with oil. To try to preserve the body as they kind of wrapped it and did this whole kind of mummification process. And what's going on is, is while everybody's looking at the cost and maybe what it meant to them, Jesus is aware that it means so much more. Watch this. So Jesus, being aware of this, hint, hint, he speaks to the disciples and said, why are you bothering the woman? She has done a beautiful thing. The poor you will have with you always, but you will not have me always. And when she poured, he gets onto the significance of the moment. When she poured this perfume on my body, it was actually to, to prepare me for burial. Like this was symbolic. This was huge. This was worship. This was prophetic. This was insightful. You guys are worried about how much it cost and you missed just the profoundness of the moment. And then he says these last words. He goes, truly, I tell you that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, when I started this idea of legacy, I had so many thoughts and ideas and angles. But, you know, sometimes I say when, when I think about legacy in the Bible and people that left a legacy, this, this story jumped to my mind. And here's why. It's because this moment was not a miracle this moment was not even a profound teaching moment where Jesus is teaching the people. It's just a moment that was so significant. And Jesus deemed it so significant that he said, Hey, as long as the world exists and throughout the whole world, they're going to preach this story. They're going to tell this story. Remember that lady? Remember that woman? Remember the moment that she had? See, she had this moment, this opportunity, this window of time, and she stepped into it and defined the moment. Do you notice how everybody else was trying to define her moment? Everybody was mad because she interrupted dinner. Everybody was mad because she, she, you know, she broke open this expensive thing. Everybody was upset and annoyed. And, and everybody was trying to discourage the moment. Kind of rain on the parade. And she defined the moment. Because she had this window. See, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.15, it says, See careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word time, it doesn't mean chronological time. It means windows of time. So you got windows of time. What you'll find when you reflect on your life is that you have these windows. Because how many know like so much of time is repeated time? Like you're just kind of going through, well, I got up and I went to work and that was the commute and that was the drive. And then, well, then I was doing this with the kids or doing with this, whatever. And there are moments that are routine moments, but every once in a while, you have these defining moments. You have these windows of time where you could have either stepped into it and something great happened, or maybe there are times where we even shrunk a little bit from the moment. We were afraid of it or scared of it, and we didn't know what to do with it. And this is, this, this is the deal. Because here's, here's the other thing, too. Talk about, like, being a little strange. Only she could do this. She was the one that had the alabaster jar. She was the one, because it would have been really weird for a dude to do this, like, uber weird. So she's a girl. She has the ability to, to take this thing that so represents love and devotion and sacrifice and break it open and have this incredible defining moment for and with Jesus. And Jesus says, this will be 
her legacy. Now, I want you to think about something. This happened about 2,000 years ago. Now, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Nobody gave me the clue on how that's going to work out. But what I know is for 2,000 years, this story has been preached all across the world. Do you know that the Bible has been translated in part in over 3,000 languages? We're talking about over 3,000 languages the Bible's been translated in part into. And you know what story gets told all the time? Is this defining moment. You know what else is crazy? This is what I believe. I believe we're going to get to heaven. And if it just so can be that we get to walk around and Jesus is there, it's possible that I'll get to pass by this woman and Jesus can be like, hold on, wait, everybody. Do y'all know who this is? We're telling the story. This will be a defining moment. This will be a legacy moment for her forever. And that's what we're talking about today. That in life, you got these moments, you got these windows, and sometimes only you can step into it, only you have the means, only you have the resources, only you have the opportunity, and you step into these moments, and you allow these moments to become legacy moments. They're, they're huge. Let me, let me tell you another story. In history, um, there's the story of Marco Polo, who was in it. Y'all remember Marco? Y'all, how many of y'all played Marco Polo as a kid? I don't know why we did that. I'm going to have to figure that out. Why did we turn the dude into a, a water game? That gets annoying because I was a lifeguard for two years. Eventually, they're like, shut up. Quit yelling, Marco. And I hated it. Anyway, Marco Polo was a real historical Italian figure who his dad and his uncle traveled to the Far East to meet with Genghis Khan and his son, Kublai Khan. It's this interesting story. They're one of the few guys that, that we know of that traveled all the way to the Far East because they were the ones that actually recorded about their adventures and journeys and, and what all happened. And part of what comes out of the stories of Marco Polo is this, is that when Marco Polo met with Genghis Khan, you've got to get your head wrapped around this idea that like this was the largest empire the world had ever seen. It was larger than the Roman Empire. It literally went from Siberia in the north to India in the south, from Poland in the west to the Pacific in the east. This was massive. And this Mongolian empire ruled by the Khans uh, was just huge. And they, so these travelers from the east wanted to go and trade spices. And it was called the Silk Road. And there's all this interesting stuff. But what most people don't know about history is this. Is that Kublai Khan addressed Marco Polo specifically. And he said, my people have a spiritual need and there's nothing here meeting this need. But when Marco Polo came with these travelers, some of the ones that traveled with them were Christian missionaries. And they told Kublai Khan the story of Jesus. So, so, so these Christian missionaries, just I mean, like, what an incredible story. The God-man who comes to earth and doesn't rule and reign and conquer or destroy, but actually dies on behalf of man. Kublai Khan was fascinated by the story of Jesus. And he told Marco Polo, he goes, look, our people, this is a huge empire, we have a spiritual need. And he said, when you go back, you tell Pope Gregory the whatever, he goes, you tell him to send me a hundred men skilled in your scriptures and your Bible, and we'll make sure we cover the empire with the message of Jesus. So Marco Polo returns to Europe. He tells some people the stories of Kublai Khan and the Mongolian Empire. And he tells them the story of, hey, he's, he's actually asked and requested. They didn't send a hundred men. Only two would go. One of them traveled for two days before returning. One of them got as far as the Gobi Desert before he quit and went back as well. Nobody went. So Kublai Khan, in this absence and void and spiritual need, turns to the Tibetan Buddhist. He says, my people have a spiritual need. Well, you send me 100 men skilled in your, in your religion. And now that part of the world is covered because somebody had a defining moment. 
and they let something else and somebody else define the moment for them. They missed this incredible window of opportunity. And you never know what was lost. You don't know how it would have turned out. We, 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 we can't even role play and figure out what that would even look like. All we know is that somebody had a legacy moment and somebody missed it. And the whole idea behind this legacy moment is this, is that you and I have these legacy moments. And we always want to be aware, God, when are you, when, when, when am I in the routine? And that's cool. And I'll just be faithful in the routine and I'll be faithful in the seemingly mundane and the simple. But every once in a while, when a defining moment comes along, God, would you help me to be so aware of that moment and then to step in it with faith? Step in it knowing that you'll catch me if I fall. Step in it and just say, I'm going to go for it, God, because I think you've given me one of these defining windows of time. I tell you all that to lead you to this and the reason why we have this legacy series. It's because a couple of months ago, this is probably back in November now, I was approached by basically the person that runs this facility. This is owned by the Shriners Event Center and he approached me and we're just talking and he's, he's a golfer, so we'll talk golf every once in a while and he's just a really nice guy and, and I'm asking him how things are going. He's asking me how things are going. He goes, hey, um... I think we're going to sell the building. You want to buy it? And, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. He goes, well, he goes, you know, in, in about three years, we're, we're, we're going to sell the building. Do you want to buy it? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want, I, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll buy it. I was like, I don't know if I can buy it, <laughs> but I want to buy it. Is that like a kid at a candy store? I'm like, I want it. I don't know if I can afford it. I don't know if I can buy it. And, and he asked me that question. I said, hey, let me do this. Let me do this. Uh, let, let me just go start talking to people. Start talking to board members. Start talking to friends, other pastors. Start talking to everybody you can think of because that's just how I roll. I just like to ask tons and tons of questions. So I talk to everybody from construction guys to real estate guys to banking guys to all kinds of people. And everybody I talked to was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, man, what a killer opportunity. Oh, man, that looks great. I've had people come and look at the, the building and the parking lot and the size and be like, oh, this is good. You know, it, every, everybody was like, thumbs up. The one guy was like, it's a no-brainer. I mean, every good thing you could hear. Uh, and one of the last conversations I had was with the banker. And I, you know, I, I bought a home before. I never bought a building as a church, but I, I bought a home before. And so I just start, well, let me just ask, again, ask a hundred questions. And, and, you, and then I even have this question too. This is, you can put this in your pocket for later. I even ask this question. I always ask somebody that's really, really wise in a field or in a specific area of life. And when I'm done asking all the questions I can think of, I ask this question. What am I, what do I ought to ask that I don't even know to ask? That, that's the real big question. What should I be asking? And I don't even know because this isn't my field. And, and so anyway, we had a great conversation with the banker, but he said something. And one of the questions, it, it, it stumped me almost. It made me pause. And this is what he asked. He asked, why do you want to buy the building? And at first I thought, well, duh. Why do you not want to buy the, why do you not want to buy the, I'm sitting here thinking about like, oh, but we could do this and create space for this and have ministry opportunity for this and there'd be no more setup and tear down and children's rooms could be dynamic and creative and the sound system could be permanent and not bark at me. <laughs> and the chairs, we could get chairs that are so much more comfortable. Can I get a, can I get a, it's the first thing I'm going to buy is chairs. Anyway, um, I just thought. It, duh, it, it, it's, ob it's obvious, right? Like, and, and that's just what came to my mind. I, I didn't say that. It's just what kind of came to my mind. And, and, but I, it did. It caused me to pause. And, and I had this moment where I felt like God kind of spoke to me. It was one of those aha, epiphany moments. And there was no audible voice. There was no, you know, the, the, the shades didn't ruffle, you know, ah, you know. Yes, God. I mean, I don't, nothing like that happened. But I had this moment and I thought, this is what just rose up within me is I thought, I want to buy this building because I want to set this church up 
to be a great church for generations to come. Yeah, can we give the Lord a hand clap? That's just what came to me. There's some obvious no-brainers to this thing, but that's what came to me. I thought, I thought what a great body of Christ. What a great fellowship of believers. What, what a great community of faith that we have. When you look around, the there's some good people here, some cool people here, some great things going on. There, there's kingdom work being done. But wouldn't it be a shame to say, hey, in one generation we rose up and there was a great community of faith and then one generation it kind of disappeared and dissipated and faded into the night. And I thought, I don't want that. I want something that lives so far beyond me and maybe the best thing that I can do to set up the next generation to come is to actually get us into a position where the next generation is not worried about renting and setting up and tearing down and doing this or building or raising or whatever, but what if they could jump off our shoulders into the future? The Bible says in Proverbs, it says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We've talked about this before, that, that, that really kingdom people think eternally. They think generationally, multi-generationally. They don't think about even like their life and what do I need in my life. They, they don't even think about how can I set up my kids for success. They start thinking, how can I train my kids in such a way that they set up my grandkids for success? And what if we kept kind of perpetuating that kind of idea? Always thinking about having other people jump off of our shoulders into the future. And I thought, that's what I want for this church. Because here, here's, here's the deal. There's a... There's a book out. There's one of my favorite books. It was called Built to Last by Jim Collins. And it's, a, it's an interesting business book. And what it is, is a study of all the great and enduring countries in the last hundred years. And to qualify to get into this book, you had to be a, a, a business that lasted for well over 60, 70, 80 years and have to live well beyond one product idea or one great leader. Because there's all kinds of companies that had one great leader and he was so awesome. The company did great, but when the leader died, the company in essence, died with it. And there were other companies that had brilliant ideas and their idea was so awesome it put them on the map. But when the idea died, so did the company. And there's, there's all the... But, but what, what he discovered was is that some companies and some businesses had built themselves in such a way that they kept producing good ideas. They kept producing good people. They kept producing good leaders until, yeah, that idea died, but they came up with new ideas. And that, those leaders died and passed on, but we came up with new leaders and new people doing new things. And I thought, that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that's built to last. That's not just here for me and you and for us to sit in a circle and sing kumbaya and then pat each other on the back and be like, look what we did but rather build a legacy, something. Because here's the deal. Outside of your children, what else are you going to leave behind that will outlive you? What, other than your kids, has so much significance and weight and purpose and meaning that lives beyond you into the next generation? And to me, there's nothing more powerful than to say we built a church. We were a part of a church. We were a part of a community of faith that was so about the next generation that, that we built a church that kept reaching. Because isn't it awesome when somebody comes to Jesus? Isn't it awesome when a marriage gets restored? Isn't it awesome when somebody turns their heart towards God? Isn't it awesome when somebody carried bitterness in their heart for years and then found forgiveness because of Jesus? But what if? What if we created a place that was doing that long after you and I were dead and gone and pushing up daisies? How awesome would that be? That something would outlive us. What an incredible opportunity. So, in light of that, we decided to launch a capital campaign. One of the greatest things about this opportunity, it's not a right here, right now, you have to do it or else opportunity. It's a, hey, in about three years. 
And, and then, you, just so you know, since then, they've been nothing but, and I say them as in the Shriners of Minister, they've been nothing but kind, nothing but, but favor, nothing but, but support. Uh, they've come back and said, hey, if you need help with this, or hey, if you need help with that, or if you need us to do this, or need us to do that. And they've come back and said stuff that literally has made me leave with my jaw open, like confused, like what? Did that just happen? Did he say that? Just awesome and incredible. And so there's this opportunity. So what I told him, I said, hey, look, here's the deal. We're going to go to work then. And we're going to do what we call a capital campaign. Other people call it a building fund, a building campaign. If you've ever been a part of church that's done this, you know what I'm talking about. And here's what we're going to do. For the next three years, we will have a legacy campaign. And here's what that's going to mean. What we will do as a church family is we will pledge to give above and beyond our normal giving for the next three years to see if we can, in fact, raise enough money to buy this building. Now, let me give you some numbers real quick here. The, the building was somewhat recently appraised right around $3 million. Um, the, the, the issue that we run into, though, is that a bank is not willing to loan you more than about three times your annual income, and a bank doesn't give you a 30-year mortgage with 4%. It doesn't work like that. And so it, it, it's, it's more than like, you can't do zero down. Does that make sense? You can't do 10% down. You, you've got to come out of pocket and pretty much get half of the way there. And that's kind of our goal. And so that goal is fluid, nothing set in stone because we don't know what the market will be like in three years. So there's nothing that can be absolutely locked in. But we have a goal and we have a dream and we have a desire. And he, he, here's, here's what I would say to you. Not only do we want this building because it's a duh, it's a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, why not? It's practical. There's so many more things that we could do. We could expand our territory, expand our reach, expand the, the things that we do. And that would be awesome. But man, there's a legacy moment here. Because here's the deal. Here's what I want you to think about. Only you will have this moment. That generation after us, they won't have that same moment. They'll have a different moment for them. But this will be our defining moment to see if we can set up our church, not just for this generation, which is great because I love you and you're awesome, but to set it up for generations to come. So that long, here's the deal. Have you ever been to an old church? In an old church, there's a hallway somewhere. And in that hallway, there's a bunch of pictures of old people. It's always old people that were building a building. And there's these memories and these pictures. And then there's a hallway of, of old dudes, typically. And it's like, there's an old dude that was the first starting original pastor. And this is where this church began. And you know, I thought, I want to be an old dude on a wall somewhere. And I want a bunch of y'all pictures all around me because we, we, we built buildings and we did things and we set up our church to leave a legacy. How incredible that opportunity is. Here's what I need you to do. Number one is this, is I need you to pray. Just bear with the sound thing. We'll work that out. I need you to pray. I need you to pray like crazy. I need you to pray often. As a matter of fact, I, I, ever since this news broke, man, I, I think I prayed more since, since then than, than, you know, I just never, I've never been so focused in my prayer, no, so focused in my fasting. As a matter of fact, there's a series we did last year on prayer, and in it, we talked about uh, the prayer of Jabez, and the prayer of Jabez goes like this, Lord, bless us indeed. Lord, enlarge our territory. May your hand be upon us and keep us from evil that we may not cause pain. I've been praying that prayer, not as an individual. I've been praying that prayer as a church. That's why I said us. As a church, God, we need your incredible blessing, your favor. We, we want you to enlarge our, that's the point of the building, isn't it? To enlarge our territory, to enlarge the realm of influence and impact that we can make. And the building is a tool to accomplish that. It's not the ultimate thing. That's why we need to pray. Because here's the deal. If you have a building without God, you've got nothing. 
So I need you to pray. I need you to pray for favor with people, with banks, with the Shriners, with, 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 I'm telling you, we need to pray, we need to pray for incredible resources, incredible blessing. Um, you know, maybe I need to pray for one of you to win the lottery. I don't know how this is going to work, but I need you to pray. I need you to pray. Number two is this. I need you to consider your finances. This is the biggest ask I've ever made, and I've never done this as a pastor in my entire life. I've seen other dudes do it, and I'm just like, eh, good, yeah. I, I've never done this before. I've never done a capital campaign before. And I'm asking you to so consider your finances. And here's, here's, what, here's what it looks like practically. Um, a church like ours has regular giving, regular tithes and offerings that makes this church go and operate and give and do all that we do. And that's great. And just so you know, we're, we're good in that area. People ask me all the time, and we're above budget. We do well budgeting. We don't overspend. We're not, we're, we just, we just, all that stuff I teach you biblically, we run the church exactly like that. That's just how we run. So we're not in an issue financially, but, but here's the deal. This stuff that comes in from a legacy campaign needs to be above and beyond the normal giving because here's the deal um if you if you just said hey well i always give this and i'll just take that and move that towards the legacy fund then then this doesn't exist for very long does that make sense like this is always above and beyond but i need you to consider your finances and so right now ushers i need you to hand out those cards and hand them out just in stacks i mean just as quickly as you can um just to, just for speed purposes hand them out and this is a card that tells you a little bit about our legacy it tells you a little bit about the details and then on the back it has all these different things on there that, that we want you to consider when you consider your finances because here's the two big words that god keeps giving me is that i need to think creatively and i need to think sacrificially I need to think creatively and I need to think sacrificially. And so when I look at my finances and me and my wife have already begun these conversations, we've asked questions about what can we sell? What can we give up? What can we change in our monthly income? Um, you know, we've got stocks we could go sell. We've got income tax returns coming in. What could we do? And that's the, the ultimate question that I want you to ask. It's the simple prayer. God, what is it that I could do? What is it that I should do? God, what is it that you want me to do? What can I do creatively? What can I do sacrificially to make this legacy moment happen? Because here, it's, it's not an individual moment. It's a collective moment. This legacy moment is not my moment. It's not. It's our moment. As a collective, as a church, to step in. And not to let negativity or doubt or fear define our circumstances, but for us just to go in, dive in, and say, Jesus, we're going to do something. Because this is what this woman did. She did something extravagant. She did something sacrificial. Regardless of what other people thought or how they felt, she said, I'm going to dive in because there's a defining moment. And I'm not going to let other people discourage me. I'm going to jump in and trust God. And that's our moment. There are other people like Marco Polo and Pope Gregory and these missionaries. And they had a defining moment. They, did, they missed their moment. We, now you live in the wonder of what if. This is the worst place to live in life is the wonder of what if and what if this and what if that's a terrible place to live and I don't want to live there. I would rather us give our absolute all and it not work out the way that we thought it was going to work out. But for us to know we gave God every bit of our prayer and faith and sacrifice to make this happen. And if God has other plans, that's okay. I'm good with God's plans always. But this is what I think God has called us to do. And so I want you to consider your finances. Now, let me give you some details. The way that we're going to unfold the legacy campaign is this. We'll be talking about legacy and this idea and, and why and the what for weeks to come here. But on February 5th, that, I'm sorry, not February 5th, but March 5th will be the start of our pledge week. So next week and the week after, I'll start handing out pledge cards for you just to take and pray over. 
and to think about and to still consider to pray for us, pray for this building, pray for God to bless us. And then you, again, praying, God, how should I consider my finances? Because on March 5th, we will actually have in that service a moment for people to come and bring their pledges. On March 12th, we'll do a follow-up. So in case you just absolutely can't be here on March 5th, we'll do kind of a follow-up pledge week on March 12th. And those pledges are what you're pledging. And, and when you look at the card, the card will be very self-explanatory. But it's between you and God, whether I want to do this much every week or this much every month or this much every year. However, it's however, there is no absolutes to this. This is between you and God. But we'll give those pledges on March 5th. And then two weeks later, on March 19th, we will do what's called our Miracle Offering Sunday. And what we're going to do that week is basically what I want you to do is on all of your praying and all of your considering, we're going we're gonna to try to fatten the pot, if you will. We're going to basically try to start with a bang. How many know when you've when you got to put a, a rocket into space, you've got to have a whole lot of boost to kick it off? And this is our kickoff boost. This is us saying, hey, let's do a one-time gift, the best one-time gift that we can do as individuals. And that will be on March 19th, and that will start this legacy fund and this legacy campaign, and then our pledges will come in after that, based on however it is that the Lord leads you. This is our legacy campaign. This is our hope. This is our future. This is our dream. Let me make, let me make one more point. Not only is it practical that you buy the building and some like, yeah, obviously, who wouldn't, why wouldn't you? Not only is it a defining legacy moment for us, but let me put it another way. I think this is a why not moment, because the reality is they're selling that building anyway. Either we're going to buy it, or somebody else is going to buy it. Might as well be us. Can I get an amen? Why not us? Why not me? Why not us? Why not you? Why not now? Why not God do the miraculous? Why not? If, if they're going to sell it, bless God, they might as well sell it to us. And if we don't buy it, then we're out trying to figure out where do we go next and how does that work. And I don't want to think about that. I want to think about putting you in new chairs. I want to think about like a really dope, creative preschool wing for our kids to learn about Jesus. I want to create like awesome. I want to get bugs out of that dumb sound system. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. This is our legacy moment. Let me tell you one last story. We'll close. Um, it's 11-11 if you're taking medicine. Um, one of my favorite stories comes from a man named John Harper. John Harper was a pastor in England. And he has this incredible life and story and taking over a church and starting it and whatever. But John Harper was a pastor who was invited with his friend Riley to travel to America. And it just happened to be that it was what well, was that fateful night that the Titanic sank into the Atlantic Ocean. John Harper was on that boat. So if you know anything about Titanic and not the Leonardo DiCaprio version, but you know the historical version, is that an iceberg did indeed clip the side of it. It began to take on water and it began to fill up and everybody knew something had happened and everybody's in a panic mode. You know that they didn't have enough lifeboats. They, they thought the, the ship was most likely just unsinkable so we don't need that many lifeboats. It'll just make everything kind of ugly and we won't do it. And so, so but, but John Harper being a pastor, they decided that they would give him a spot on one of the life rafts. So him and Riley get to the life raft and John Harper pauses. And he looks at Riley, and he says, wait a minute. Riley, I need you to tell my daughter. He had a daughter named Nana. His wife, he was widowed. His wife had already died, but he had one daughter named Nana. He said, you tell Nana that I love her. And you tell my church that I love them. But you save this seat for somebody 
that does not know Jesus. And from that moment forward, he begins to run, not walk, but run on the different levels of the Titanic, telling as many as he could, tonight, you don't have to die, but you can live forever with God in heaven. If you'll just turn towards Jesus, will you repent of your sins and will you trust in Jesus? And literally from one person to the next, from one person to the next. As a matter of fact, some people say that the last song that the band played was a hymn talking about God. And then you have John Harper running around this boat, screaming and yelling people. As a matter of fact, he was even, as a matter of fact, they eventually had to jump into the water. Only six people were rescued from the water. And while John was in the water, he was literally swimming from person to person, begging them, do you know Jesus? You don't have to die tonight, but you can live forever with God in heaven. If you'll just repent, if you'll just turn towards Jesus. And he found a young man. He said, have you turned towards Jesus yet? And he said, no, not yet. So John Harper swam to the next person and went, and then he came back to the young man. He goes, young man, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You don't have to die tonight. You can turn towards Jesus. He goes, have you surrendered your life to him yet? And he goes, no, not yet. And John Harper went on, swam around, and died. Six people were rescued from the water that did not get into lifeboats. A year later, at a recovery service where people who had gone through this experience gathered. It was, it was kind of like a, a, a memorial and a gathering and a remembrance. They all gathered as a support group even. And they began to share their stories. And a young man got up that night. And the very last speaker to that support group that night, he got up. And he basically began to tell the story of what he saw as he sat in the water and John Harper swimming around. And he said, I want everyone to know that I am John Harper's last convert. Because some people have defining moments and they jump into them. Some people recognize that they can live a life that outlives them, that lives so far beyond them. And I want you to be a legacy-minded person. In all of your life, whether here at New Beginnings or not, I want you to be a legacy person. And as a church, I want to be a legacy church. I don't want to be a church that just thinks about us in the here and the now. But thinks, how can we build a place, create an environment, have such an incredible church that not only do we reach people in this generation, but in the generations to come. That literally long after we're dead and gone, there are still people from this stage preaching the gospel and telling others about Jesus and helping other people connect to Christ. Can I get an amen out there? So I need you to pray and I need you to consider your finances. And this is something we're going for. We feel like this is a moment and we're just going to step into it. And I invite you to step into it with me. And I, I want you to do it prayerfully. There's no pressure in this situation. There's no guilt in this situation. For some of you, you can do incredible things and you know it. And for others, you're like, Todd, you have no idea how strapped or how. Look, look, you do whatever you can do. You do whatever you should do. You do whatever God asks you to do and nothing more. So I invite you to be a part of this legacy moment. Get in here next week. This is just the starting point of this idea called legacy. There will be more information to come. Would you bow your heads with me today? God, I thank you. Maybe, just maybe, you have called us for such a time as this. Maybe, just maybe, this is our legacy moment. This is a window. This is a defining moment we can jump into. God, it will require our faith. It will require our sacrifice. But God, we, we could just maybe do something incredible that sets up a legacy for generations to come. 
Help us to be those people, Lord. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Will you give the Lord a big hand clap today? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.